What a sign it is creaking. We see your lost soul with our wondering eye. There's only one light on, and the darkness is creeping. There's only one light, and the chill. Good morning. Is it still snowing out there? No? Good. It's been wild recently. Would you like some chocolate? I've got a stash behind the till of all the unsold Valentine snacks. Don't tell Jasper. I, uh, I might have told him we already sold out. Please, feel free to browse. I'll be right here if you need me. Wandering Eye Curios, this is Meg speaking. Oh, hey Jim. What's wrong? Uh, your vinegar valentine didn't go too well then. I did, I did say, yeah. No, I agree, it's a funny card, just Maybe a little bit too harsh? Right. Yeah. No, of course you can come by. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, Jim. Hey, Meg, who was that on the phone? Jim. When he came in last week to drop off the cabinet, he took a liking to this year's Vinegar Valentines and, uh... Well, Mary wasn't very impressed. Kicked him out again, did she? Yep. Want me to put some blankets and uh, pillows in the cupboard again? Sounds like he's going to need somewhere to lay low for a while. Please. Sorry about that. One of our suppliers bought a vinegar valentine last week and his wife was not very happy about the contents. It's kind of a given though, so I don't really have all that much sympathy, truth be told. You'd think after 260 years of marriage, he'd have figured out her humour. Oh, sorry, I just, I just assume everyone knows about them. As you know, Valentine's Today is seen as a modern capitalist holiday that was constructed by one of those well-known card companies, but the reality is that lovesick couples have been sending cards, letters and tokens on February 14th for years. Sending a mushy card to your loved one is pretty standard now. With the invention of the printing press in the 1800s and the Penny Post initiative, sending handwritten notes and cards for Valentine's Day quickly became a thriving industry. By 1886, so many cards were being sent that the post office had to issue a notice asking people to post early to make sure they arrived in time. Sending cards through the post, rather than having to hand deliver them, also brought a sense of anonymity 
which allowed slightly uh, racier cards to be sent. And what do humans do best when they don't fear any retribution? Yes, they act like bastards. Rather than sending sweet declarations of love, a trend quickly emerged which people of the time called Vinegar Valentines. These were cards, often printed on thin and cheap paper, which were sent purely to insult the receiver. Whether it was meant to inform someone that their attention was unwanted, or was a cruel personal attack, this anti-Valentine card trend grew so popular that they made up half of all Valentine's card sales in America in the mid-19th century. There was a huge range of different themes you could pick from if you wanted to send one, from criticism of their faults to ones that commented on issues with alcoholism, vanity, laziness and stupidity, and not being very beautiful were also popular themes. Some of them were truly savage. Listen to this one. Hey lover boy, the place for you is home upon the shelf, because the only one who'd kiss you is a jackass like yourself. And this one too. You claim you're good at anything, so come on, show some proof, and let me see how good you are at jumping off the roof. Harsh, right? To add insult to injury, the penny post system actually charged the receiver for postage. So after getting one of these horrible notes, you'd then be expected to pay for the privilege. Nowadays, there are a few examples left of these vinegar valentines most likely because they wouldn't have been kept and treasured like other handwritten notes or greetings cards, but most likely thrown into a fire in a fit of rage. Ah, that'll be Jim. I better go and let him in. Jasper, can you come out and watch the shop? Hey, how you doing? Taking a look at all the love tokens there? Yeah, they didn't sell as well this year as we'd hoped, even though we did put a lot of effort into finding legitimately traditional Valentine's customs. That, it's a, a busk. <laughs> You're right, it does look like a shoehorn. But take a look at the intricate carvings gorgeous, right? Typically made from whale bones, a busk was designed to slide into the narrow pockets in a corset between a lady's breasts all the way down to her pubic bone. It would be tied in place to give a certain lift and uh, help keep the corset straight and in place. They were most often gifted by sailors to their beloved. The busk would be inscribed with coded images or messages, and historians say that it was to keep their thoughts of love close to her heart. However, the proximity to her naked body also surely gave the gift a sense of physical intimacy. One of the most notable busks was a metal one worn by French princess Anne-Marie Louise d'Orléans. It was inscribed with the following. How I envy you the happiness that is yours, resting softly on her ivory white breast. Let us divide between us, if you please, this glory. You will be here the day 
and I shall be there the night. Romantic, huh? If you're looking for something a little less costly, though, may I recommend these lovely courting tubes? Dating in the past was a pretty awkward affair. Couples were rarely left alone or without a chaperone, so it was hard to get some time to yourselves. In early New England, most houses were very small, so when a potential suitor came to visit, the whole family was sat in front of the fire, so any time alone for the young couple was almost impossible. Here enters the courting tube. A hollow tube or stick between six and eight feet long with mouthpieces and earpieces attached. To use it, the couple could sit either side of the fireplace and whisper sexily to each other without the family hearing too much. Personally, I wouldn't be able to resist using the tube as a trumpet, but that's just me. If you prefer a sweeter treat, we have some antique love heart sweets somewhere. They're at least 150 years old, so I wouldn't suggest eating them, but they'd make a nice decoration in the glass urn we store them in. Where do we put them? Hmm. Wait. Are these the sold out Valentine's chocolates? <sighs> Bloody Meg trying to hide them from me. <laughs> there you go. They're bigger than the ones we have today. <laughs> Sweethearts, I mean. They were first made in 1847 by Oliver Chase, who was working on a machine to produce lozenges, rather than having to hand make each in a long, laborious process. In 1866, his brother Daniel found a way to press words on sweets, using a felt stamp moistened with food colouring made from vegetables. Due to the growing industry of Valentine's Day, Daniel was inspired to print messages directly onto the sweets. As they were bigger then, the original messages were far longer than the snappy phrases we know today. This is Meg's favourite. How long shall I have to wait? Please. Be considerate. As the years and trends changed, the brothers added and dropped phrases. Some of my favourite ones that are no longer in production include Fax me. I'm me. Be my icon. Saucy boy. Not interested in stale sweets. <laughs> Fair. Well, feel free just to browse. If you have any questions or need help, just ring this bell. Found something you like? Oh, those eye miniatures are gorgeous, aren't they? And that one has a lock of hair in the back, if you look. The lady who passed it on to us swore blind it came from her Regency lover, who was the one who got away. Jasper got really excited at the name, but personally, I've never heard of Ann Lister. Now, these were popular in the late 18th century as a way to keep a piece of your lover with you. Before photography, Many wanted a way to remember their partner at all times, and a painting of just their eyes felt more intimate to many than just a standard portrait. At the time, society was obsessed with seeing and being seen. 
many young women flirted using the complex secret fan language at dances. There was dramatically limited interaction between members of the opposite sex and glances could be more easily exchanged than words. Some of these, of course, were painted as a way of remembering the deceased. Morning jewellery was a booming business after all. Once photography came along though, they fell out of fashion and I think it's a real shame. No, I don't think it's weird at all you feel a connection with it. Most of the things we sell seem to have a certain magnetism to them. Besides, there are some love tokens that are far more disturbing than just a simple eye painting. Brace yourself, kid. This story is pretty horrendous. Oskar Kokoschka was an Austrian painter who was well known for his intense, expressionistic portraits. Perhaps less known was his steamy affair with Alma Mahler, a renowned beauty and composer. Alma met Oskar in 1912, one year after the death of her husband, Gustav. They soon developed a fiery relationship, with Alma describing him as the wildest beast of all, whose pulpy, pulsing passion seems to have been both an intense blessing and a curse. It was a volatile affair, full of arguments, but Oscar remained besotted. Trouble was, Alma was also involved with architect and Bauhaus founder Walter Gropius. When Alma found out she was pregnant with Oscar's baby, she decided to have an abortion. Devastated at her decision, Oscar ran away to join the Austrian cavalry in 1914. Alma tried to let him down gently, using the classic line that she just loved him too much to carry on their affair. Okay. A year later, she married her other flame, Walter, and upon returning home, Oscar did what any totally normal scorned man would do. In July 1918, Kokoschka reached out to renowned doll maker Hermine Mu and commissioned a life-sized Alma doll, complete with fake teeth and soft skin. In several creepy letters to the artist, he detailed very specifically what he required, saying, yesterday, I sent a life-size drawing of my beloved and I ask you to copy this most carefully and transform it into reality. Please permit my sense of touch to take pleasure in those places where layers of fat or muscle suddenly give way to a sinewy covering of skin. For the first layer, inside, please use fine curly horsehair. You must buy an old sofa or something similar have the horsehair disinfected. Then over that, a layer of pouches stuffed with down, cotton wool for the seat and breasts. Hermine, perhaps disgusted at this man-child, did not make the most beautiful creation. No, the doll definitely looked cursed. For some reason, she used a furry material for the outer layer of the skin, which made the doll look like a cheap anthropomorphic rug. Oscar, as you can imagine, was very disappointed with the end result and he told her so. However, he still got some use out of his new woman. He bought the Alma doll to the opera, hosted parties in her name and even hired a maid to dress her. 
and I dread to think about the things he did that weren't reported. Unsurprisingly, this relationship also turned sour. During a raucous party in the doll's honour, Oscar became drunker and angrier as the night progressed, and as dawn broke, he decapitated the doll, broke a bottle of red wine over the head, and left it sprawled and broken in his front garden. The next morning, head pounding, he was woken by police officers responding to distressed calls about the bloody, headless woman on his lawn. Hey Meg? Yeah? Jim wants you to sing him that lullaby that you did last time. <laughs> God. Coming! Sorry, better go. You look horrified. Uh, I did warn you. <laughs> Jasper will finish ringing up the brooch. Have a great day, alright? Bye. Okay, just this one today. Oh, wow, one of my favorites. Oh, this came in in a haul of some incredible things from this scandalous old lady from Yorkshire. Such a funny woman. She also sold us some original Rossetti poems about his beloved wife, Elizabeth Siddal. Little known fact, she was the model for the iconic painting Ophelia by John Everett Millay. Even lesser known fact, when she sadly died of an overdose in 1862, Rossetti buried her with a handful of original poems he wrote in her honour. As time passed and the heartbreak eased, he started to collect his writing together to produce a book. Thinking back on his past, perhaps rash decisions, he realised that some of those poems were actually really good. He wanted to publish them. So he had his wife's body exhumed. Harsh, right? Anyway, there you go. I popped your receipt in the bag. We offer refunds for 30 days and exchanges after that. Do be aware though that any unexpected hauntings or misfortunes from your purchase makes this offer null and completely void. Here, have another chocolate before you go. See you soon. Wandering Eye Curios is brought to you by myself, Jasper Chanter, and my co-host Meg James. The podcast is scripted and performed by both of us and produced by me. Music is scored and performed by Amy Marianne, with lyrics by myself. Our intro song, for better or worse, is sung by us. Find us on Instagram at WanderingEyeCurios and over on Twitter at WanderingEyePod. Stay spooky, friends. Until next time. most often gifted by sailors to their beloved, the busk would be inscribed with coded images or messages. Historians say that it was to keep their thoughts of love close to her heart. However, the proximity to her naked body, uh...